John chapter 15, if that'd be all right. Pretty famous piece of scripture this morning. That we're going to look at. We're going to look at the first 16 verses. Before we read the scripture this morning, what I want you to know is this, that, that once we land here in John chapter 15, John chapter 15 is kind of like in the middle of an ongoing discourse that Jesus is having with his disciples. And it starts in John chapter 13. It starts with the Last Supper. So this is Jesus' last few hours on the planet before being uh, unfairly tried and unfairly convicted and unfairly crucified. So Jesus is having this, this Last Supper meal, and, and during this meal, he... he it, John really slows down especially, and he gives us insight into what Jesus was, was saying with his friends. And um, um, So I want to set that up for you just a little bit. Uh, by the time we get to John chapter 15, some, some pretty dramatic things have gone down in the dinner. And, and by that I mean this. Um, we found out by this point, we have found out that, that one of the twelve, one of the twelve that's actually followed Jesus around for the last three and a half years, one of the twelve that's seen Jesus in action, one of the twelve that's heard his words. Not only that, but one of the twelve who's done Jesus' actions along with Jesus. Somebody who's been right on his side. We find out that one of the twelve is a traitor. Imagine that. Imagine that, that you've been hanging out with Jesus and one of your twelve best friends on the planet you find out is a traitor. The other thing that we find out is this. That another one of the twelve is going to betray Jesus. So by the time we get to John chapter 15, we found out that one of the twelve is a traitor. And that one of them is going to deny the Lord. Can y'all feel it? It's getting heavy. I mean, not only, not only is Jesus telling his guys things like, you don't understand, I'm going to be crucified. You don't, and, and he's telling them things even that shock them more than I'm going to die an unfair death. He's telling them things like, I'm not going to be with you guys anymore. That is, I'm going to leave the planet. So imagine that you've traveled with Jesus for three and a half years. Imagine that you've seen him do miracles. You've seen him teach. You've seen him just rock every community that he goes into. Imagine that you've been with him for three and a half years. And imagine that at this dinner, you find out that he's going to be killed. You find out that one of the twelve is a traitor. The other one, another one of the twelve is going to deny the Lord. And you also find out that Jesus is going to leave the planet. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? That's kind of the setting that we have here by the time we get to John chapter 15. It's, it's a bit heavy. It's weighing on the disciples. It's, it, this isn't like happy, happy, joy, joy. You know, this isn't SpongeBob SquarePants time. It's, 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 it's gotten a bit more serious. And, um, and so uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at some, some serious Jesus, all right? Let's read these verses. John chapter 15, verse 1, all the way through 16. We're going to read it in one big chunk. This is what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father 
will give her, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. All right. That's our text for the morning. And one of the things I want to, I want to, I want to show you, or one of the things I want us to realize before we get going much further, is that, that, that this morning, in this text that we've just looked at, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's telling them the story, and, and that's pretty common for Jesus. Jesus is all about telling stories. He, doesn't, he usually doesn't just to, to give a message. Jesus will usually wrap his message in a story. But one of the things that's a little bit different about the message and the story that Jesus is giving and here in John chapter 15 is that Jesus is disclosing everything as he goes. Did you all notice that? He says, I'm the true vine. And then what does he say? He says, my father, he's the gardener. And he says, you're the branches, and if you remain in me, you know, you're going to bear much fruit. And, and here's the deal. Most of the time when Jesus tells a story, he tells a story, and he doesn't disclose fully everything that, that, that every image in the story displays. Do you know what I'm saying? He might say the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of dough, and the, there's a woman who takes a little bit of yeast and puts it inside the dough, and then Jesus walks off, and he leaves the crowd wondering, what's he talking about? But not here. And here's the reason why Jesus is fully disclosing everything right now. The reason that Jesus is fully disclosing everything is because his time is short. Imagine that you only had a few hours to live. What would you say? You'd be clear. You'd be concise. You'd be to the point. And so the, the, the mystery that usually surrounds the stories of the kingdom, the mystery that usually surrounds the parables of the kingdom, Jesus has stripped away. And so what I want to tell you is, First of all is this, that, that, that living a lifestyle of revelation, hearing the private words of Jesus is for his closest followers. Hearing the private words of Jesus is for his closest followers. He spent three and a half years with them. These words were, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, they were not privy to this information, to this story or to this revelation. This story and this revelation was, was, was it was held and it was held for Jesus' closest followers. Now, can I tell you something else that's even better than that? The thing that's even better than that is this, that it's one of the wonders of the Bible. The Bible contains Jesus' private moments with the disciples. Okay? Let me take it another step further. You can come into Jesus' private thoughts. You can come into Jesus' private moments with his most, close, his most close associates just by opening the Bible. It's one of the wonders of the Bible. It's an absolute wonder. And so that's what we've got here this morning. And Jesus is telling this story... And he's using the image of a vine, and the image of a vine was really common in those days, uh, maybe, maybe more common than it is for us here in Kentucky. You know, we raise tobacco around here. We're not like California. I've been to Napa Valley. It's awesome. It's a, it's a 40 acre, it's a 40 mile valley planted with vines on every square inch. And, uh, and so Jesus is using this, this, this vine image that's maybe a little less familiar to us. Uh, at the temple, on the door, there was this big the door of the temple was embossed with a vine. And, and farmers, they, they commonly grew vines. And even some of the money that, that was exchanged at that time had vines embossed on it. So it was a, it was a common image. But even, even more than that, Jesus, he's talking to his disciples and they're Jews. And they're good Jews and they know their Bible. And so all throughout the Old Testament, the Lord refers to Israel as a vine. And I want to read a scripture to you. And it's out of Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. This is what it says. It says, this is, the, you know, this is the Lord, and he's talking to Israel, okay? He's comparing Israel to a vine. He says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me and, and turn, how did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? So the Lord is comparing Israel here to a, to a, a good vine that was of reliable stock, but it becomes a corrupt and a wild vine. This is a common image. The disciples would have known it. Jesus would have known it. There's also another famous vine passage in the Old Testament in the prophets, and it's in Isaiah 5. It, that's, we don't have a screen for it today. But it's, it's in Isaiah 5, and, and the prophet says, you know, hey, a vineyard, let's sing of it. And the Lord basically goes on to say, Israel, you're my, you're my vineyard. You're my, you're my choice vines, and I've planted you in fertile soil. But you guys produce nothing for me but bad fruit. And so all through the Old Testament... There are these images of Israel being compared to a vine, but here's the problem. They're compared to either an unfruitful vine or to a vine that produces bad fruit. So what's the point here this morning? The point is this, that Jesus is saying, it's right there in John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. 
He's saying, I'm not the vine that's embossed on the temple door. I'm not the vine that's embossed on the money. I'm not the vine that, that gets planted in fertile soil, but it becomes unfruitful. I'm not the vine that's planted in, in fertile soil and then produces bad fruit. I'm the true vine. And so Jesus is basically saying to his disciples, hey guys, I'm true Israel right here. And so there's four parts that I want us to notice about this story, okay? Four parts of this account. Number one, the true vine. Jesus, he is the true vine. He's not embossed on the door. He's not on the, he's not on the coins. He's not the bad fruit. Jesus is true Israel. He's true vine. Number two, there's the gardener. Maybe your translation says vine dresser. Maybe your translation says something weird like this, husbandman. It's a weird word. Maybe, maybe your, your translation says uh, the, the garden tender. And that's the father. And the father, he, 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 he's the guy who comes in and he takes care of the vineyard. And um, the father prunes, he directs, and he trains. So that's number two. The gardener is the father. Number three are the branches. And the branches are the disciples. So Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And the branches are Jesus' closest followers, okay? And by extension, that's you and I this morning. We're the branches. So Jesus is the vine. The Father, he's the gardener. We're the branches. And then, then the fourth component of this, of this uh, little, little allegorical story that Jesus tells is the fruit. And, and, and John doesn't go out and out and tell us exactly what the fruit here is, but we can, we can at least talk about fruit in this manner. The fruit is the outcome of being in relationship with Jesus. It's not one thing, it's many things. Jesus is the true vine. The Father, he's the gardener. You and I, we're the branches. And the fruit that comes from that is, the fruit is, is the results of relationship with Jesus. And that's really what I want to get at this morning. I want to talk about the results of being in relationship with Jesus. I want to talk about the importance of fruit. Because here's the deal. Jesus, he's after fruit, you all. And, and, and even bigger than that, what the world is looking for is they're looking for fruit. When we get to John chapter 15, you see the shadow of the cross is already beginning to fall on Jesus. And Jesus, he's beginning to focus his attention squarely on his disciples. Why is he focusing his attention squarely on the disciples? He's doing that because he's going to leave the planet. And Jesus' main concern is that when he leaves the planet, that he leaves uh, an accurate representation of him and God's kingdom on the planet. He wants to leave something of himself. So when he's talking about fruit, he's saying, I want to, li- I want to leave the results of my, my relationship with the Father on the planet. I want to leave the results of you being in me on the planet. So what's the point? The point of this story about vines and branches and gardeners is really simple. The point is fruit. Look at verse 8. Jesus puts it out here real plain. Here's the point. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be disciples. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see... You see, if, if, if being in relationship with Jesus is real at all, if there's, if, there's any, if there's any contact between vine and branch, if there's any exchange of life between vine and branch, if there's any exchange at all, it will result in fruit. And fruit proves, that's the word I really want to get to, fruit proves that we're disciples. You see, one of the things the world is looking for is they're looking for people who are actual disciples, not people who just have a good message, not people who've got the 19 answers in the Sunday school book down. They're looking for people who embody Jesus' life to such an extent that they, they're, they're a walking manifestation of a relationship with the Son of God, and they manifest fruit everywhere they go. And so what is fruit? Fruit is proof. It's, it's what Jesus is looking for, and, and it's what the world is looking for. One of my favorite stories in, in, all of the, in all of the Bible is in Acts chapter 4. 
And, and Acts chapter 4 is where, where Peter and, and John, they're in trouble. And the reason they're in trouble is because in Acts chapter 3, on the way to the temple, they meet a lame guy. And Peter looks at the guy and says, look, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Guy gets up and walk. Creates a huge stir. Jesus becomes famous again, which is a huge problem for the, for the Jewish uh, leaders at the temple. You know, they thought they'd had this Jesus guy whipped. We thought that we killed him. But we can't get rid of him anymore. And so they call Peter and John in. They say, hey, you guys, you can't talk about Jesus. And, and basically, Peter and John look at him and say, hey, we can't obey you and, and disobey God. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. And so they have Peter and John. They have them beat up and they get, get them sent out. And this is, what, this is what the Bible records. This is what Luke uh, saves for us in just, a, in just kind of an off-narrative moment. Luke says this about Peter and John. He says that the high officials, they noticed that these were just common men just fishermen, but they noticed that they had been with Jesus. And what was the thing they noticed about these guys? At that moment, if you go back to Acts 4, we don't have time to do it today, but if you go back and look, the thing that was remarkable about these guys was courage. It was courage. You know, what is fruit? In Acts chapter 4, it's courage. There, there's, some kind of, there's some kind of exchange that comes from vine into the branch, and it creates fruit, and it, and it can make fully unremarkable people, people who are just common, salt of the earth, regular guys, people, people who don't have a degree, people who are, who are not real talented, people who are, who are dirty, and people who, who make their living dealing with stinky fish. It, there's something about being around the true vine that makes a completely, a completely common man into something remarkable, and not just remarkable, but remarkable to people who are highly educated in high places. So what are we going for? We're going for fruit. It's what Jesus is most concerned about. Jesus is most concerned in this passage, and even yesterday, even yesterday, he's most concerned that his disciples be known by fruit and not just a name tag only. He's concerned that you and I would be known by the fruit that we produce and not just, not just the, 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 you know, the, the, the Christian dogma that we carry in our suitcase. See, one of the things my dad taught me when I was really young was, talk's cheap. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You know, the DirecTV people, they call me every week with a better deal. And I've signed up with those people before, and, and only to find out in six months the deal's not quite as good as I thought it was. You know, what the world is looking for is proof. Show me. I, you know, we've heard it, but show me. Show me the money. So what I want to talk to you about this morning specifically is how to produce fruit. And there's, there, literally, there's no, there's no less than probably... 50 different points that we can make this morning from this one passage about how to live a life that produces fruit. But we're just going to look at two things this morning, okay? Nice and simple. How to produce fruit. Y'all might want to go ahead and take a breath and have a good cleansing breath because this first one's a grinder, okay? Everybody with me? Okay, we're ready. How to produce fruit. The, 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 first thing, the first thing that we've got to realize if we're going to be people who produce fruit is that we've got to embrace the Father's pruning. And, and I want to look at here at, at verse, verse 1 and 2. It says, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I'm the true vine and my Father, he's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. What do you all notice in that verse right there? If you don't produce fruit, what happens? You get cut. If you do produce fruit, what happens? You get cut. So let me just tell you right now, if you're going to walk with Jesus, if you're going to be connected to the true vine, if you're going to apply yourselves as a disciple of the Lord, you're going to get cut. It's a really unpopular message. Um, it's, it's something that we want to avoid. We live in a, a society that, 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 that loves pleasure. Um, we, we want to avoid pain at all costs. We you know, we will, you know, we'll run, we'll run a hundred yards to, to avoid, you know, this little thing over here that might be uncomfortable. And, but one of the ways that, that, that fruitfulness comes in our life is it comes from embracing the father's pruning. 
It says he cuts off every branch that does not produce fruit, and every branch that does produce fruit, he prunes. Either way, you get cut. And here's what I want to tell you. Pruning speaks of discipline and training. Pruning speaks of discipline and training. And we live, we live in a culture where the word discipline is a four-letter word. And, and, and the other cuss word that goes right along with discipline is, is training and application. Those are good words. I want to read to you all a piece of scripture out of the book of Hebrews that deals with this very, this very issue. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 11. And I want you to notice here in this scripture, notice the language, especially once we get to verse 11, okay? This is what the writer of Hebrews has for us this morning. He says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we, should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they, saw, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Look at verse 11 here. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, look at this word. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, harvest, harvest is directly related to discipline and training. Harvest is directly related to discipline and training. Um, my father-in-law and I, I so a lot of you guys know this. Ray and I, we have eight and a half acres of wine grapes. And February and March only means one thing when you have eight, uh, eight and a half acres of wine grapes. February and March is, Bubba knows this more than anyone in the room right now. February and March is when we go out and we prune. And here's why we prune. We prune because we want to remove diseased branches. See, pruning removes disease. We prune because we want to, this is the main reason though, because we want to establish the harvest for this year. This is the, this is the thing that, that maybe you don't know unless you get out and you handle some vines. But pruning establishes the harvest for this year. To the extent that I prune is the extent that I'll harvest. Uh, see, if I, just, if I just let a vine go, it will produce branches everywhere and there'll actually be a lot of grapes on it. But here's the problem. A lot of the time, the, this, this vine will produce branches and these branches will produce grapes. But the grapes, because they've not been pruned, will never ripen. Pruning... Pruning puts strength in the root and it establishes the harvest. How many of y'all have ever been pruned by the Lord? See, uh, let me tell you, if you haven't, you're going to be. And, and it's not something to be run from. It's not something to avoid. It's something to embrace because it establishes the harvest in your own life. Now, I want to I talk to you uh, a little bit here about, about this, this thing of discipline and pruning. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, as disciples and followers, we avoid pruning and we, we avoid, avoid the discipline of our Father. I'll, I'll just give you a couple examples of how this sometimes looks. See, it can manifest itself in a hundred ways, but I'll just, I'll share a couple with you. One of the ways that it, that it, that it manifests itself is, it, it manifests itself oftentimes when, when, immature, when immature believers will just completely ignore the word of an older brother in the Lord. This has happened so many times, I can't, even, I can't even tell you. Somebody comes and they've got major problems. And they, you know, they come to me, they come to Ray, they come to Bree. Hey, please help me. And we go, okay, this is pretty obvious. And we have maybe a little insight. Hey, you, do this, this, this. Come back two months later, still same problems. Hey, did you ever do A, B, and C? No, never did A, B, and C. Didn't care to. Didn't like it. Didn't like your word. You really don't understand what's going on in my life, but you need to help me. And what I want to tell you is that one of the ways that we embrace the father's pruning in our life is just to embrace the, the brothers and the, and the older fathers that Jesus has put in our life. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, I, I think I've told it here before. When I first went to ministry school at Morningstar, um, I was really offended by Steve Thompson. Um, Steve, Steve had given some direction about what he wanted done after a meeting. And... and um, he says, look, you know, if you've got a prophetic word for me, I want you to drop it in the little prophetic word box. 
and, uh, and I'll get it on the way out. And as he was packing his stuff up, I thought, I got a word. I'll just go tell him the word. And so I walk up to Steve. I'm like, hey, Steve, I'm Adam. I, I know we don't know each other. I'm new here. I'm just a brand new student. I've got a word for you. And he goes, that's great. I don't want to hear it. You can put it in the box. And he just keeps packing his stuff up. And I go, that's really rude. And I'm like, cut to the heart. And I'm like, uh, it'll only take 30 seconds. He's like, I don't care. Put it in the box. I'm like, okay. And while, while I'm hearing this, he goes one more, one more step further. He goes, were you not in here when I gave everyone in the room specific instruction on what I wanted done? And I was cut. I was like, ah. I'm like, man, we don't treat each other like this at home. Meaning here. And I went, I went back and I sat in my seat and I was really, really hurt and really offended. And the Lord said to me, he said, Adam, you can do one of two things. You can either forgive this guy and get blessed every single time he speaks, or you can remain bitter and miss the blessing that I have for you in this man's ministry for the next two years. So I forgave him. I got blessed. He blessed he, his ministry blessed my ministry more than anyone else's that I know of in, in, in so many practical ways. And, and furthermore, Steve and I ended up becoming friends by the end of the year. You know, one of the ways that we, that we embrace the Father's pruning is just embracing the instruction that Jesus gives us in older brothers in the Lord. Here's another way, too. And it speaks maybe a little more directly to the image that Jesus uses. This is probably the way the Lord has, has pruned me more than any other way. And um, it's this. The Lord has used hiddenness to prune me maybe more than any other way. Let me explain that to you. See, Jesus says, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Stay in me, you'll produce fruit. Hey, Jessica, why don't we put, put up those two pictures of, uh, of vines, because we need to see this, actually. Y'all see that one? That's the unpruned vine. Go ahead and put the pruned one up. Ooh, isn't that crazy? All right, here's what I want to, and this is really ghetto, and I don't like it, but it's all I can do. But I want to show you all this, because I want you to see it. When Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches, what he's talking about is, you see this thick part right here? That's the vine, okay? That's the cordon. See these little spindly things up here? Those are the beginning of the branches after it's pruned. Those are called the spurs or the canes. Put the other one back up. Here we go. This is, what, this is what happens in one year after it's been pruned. All of this happens. So Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can take those down now. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And so the branches, they grow off of the vine. Did y'all see that? There's this main vine and the branches grow off the vine. And Jesus says, look, if, if, you're, a vine who doesn't, if you're a branch who doesn't produce fruit, my Father will cut you off. If you're a branch that does produce fruit, my Father will prune you so you become even more fruitful. And so what I want to tell you is the way that he's, that he's pruned me more times than not is he has used hiddenness. You see, branches are what? They're for the display of the fruit. And so uh, this, is, this is, and I'm just like full disclosure time, okay? There have been so many times in my life where I felt like, you know, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for ministry. Give me the microphone. Put me on the stage, dog. I am ready. I've got a word. And here's what the Lord does. Pruned, hidden, no one knows, no possibilities, no nothing, no platform, no microphone, no one cares. I try to tell somebody the word I've got and no one cares. And, I can, and I've got a choice at that point. I can, remain, I can get bitter and end up becoming a, a branch that produces no fruit. And those branches, we already know, they get cut off permanently. Or I can accept, I can accept the, the discipline and the pruning of the Lord and wait for my time. I'll tell you specifically how this happened. And this has happened multiple times in my life. But I'll tell you just one specific incident. Heather and I, we had been to ministry school at Morningstar. And it was just a radically uh, transformative time in our life. Uh, one of the best years of our whole life. Heather and I were down there. And we, this is exaggeration. We didn't fight the entire year. The year leading up to it, we fought like hell. During that year, we didn't fight at all, and it was unbelievable. And so, uh, but we came home, and when I got home, I was like, I am ready for this thing, you know? I'm like, give me the microphone, give me a platform. I know I said hell, y'all get over it, you know? <laughs> it's big people in here. So, um, so I got home, and, I've got, and in my heart, I'm just like, I am ready for this thing. 
you know, look out, make me a spot, you know, I'm back. And the thing that was most in my heart was, it was most in my heart to lead worship. And I was like, man, I've, I've got some songs, I'm, I'm better, I've been to the, you know, I've been to the mountain. Well, I, you know, get out of my way, let me have a chance. And Eric, who's my very good friend, and he's my brother-in-law, he was worship leader at that time. And uh, for the entire next year, after I'd gotten home from Morningstar, guess how many times I led worship? None. Guess how many times I led worship in the entire next 18 months after I got home from Morningstar? None. None. It's called hiddenness. It's called pruning. And it's called getting your heart right. Let me tell you the other part of that story. The only thing I did for 18 months after I got back, I played drums. That's it. That's the only thing. I, Kevin knows. And, and I was there with Kevin. Kevin, he didn't have any idea how to play bass. And I barely had any idea how to play drums. And it was a really rough rhythm section for 18 months. And, um, but when I got home, I felt like I was ready. And so I, the Lord just prunes me and he puts me in a place of hiddenness for 18 months. And, and pretty much at the point when I had given up on any hope of leading worship and I was just going to resign myself to, to playing drums and serving the worship band and hopefully getting with Kevin and getting better. Pretty much once to the point when I got to that, to that issue and my heart had just laid it down, that's when Eric comes to me one day and he goes, Adam, Heather and I, he goes, Adam, Amanda and I are moving to, to Charlotte, North Carolina to go to Morningstar and we want you to be the worship leader. Now, you realize it makes no sense. I haven't led worship for 18 months. It's called pruning. You know, I want to tell you all, pruning manifests itself in a hundred different ways. But there's a couple ways. It manifests itself in the instruction that we get from older brothers and it manifests itself a lot of times in our life in terms of hiddenness. These branches, we want to we 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 be out, we want to display, we want to have fruit, we want to hang it out there on the edge and then we get hidden. But let's not miss the Father's heart here, okay? Look at verse 2 again. The reason that he prunes, the reason that, that he prunes you and I is so that we would be more fruitful. See, look at verse 2. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. See, pruning and discipline, they're the paths that one must travel to go from fruitful to even more fruitful. I want to say that again. Pruning and discipline are the paths that you and I have to travel down to go from a place of fruitful to more fruitful. There is great reward in embracing pruning and discipline. Before we move on, one more little remark about discipline. Y'all ever been around like kids who just never got any discipline from their moms and dads? They're awesome kids, aren't they? You want them over at your house, don't you? Yeah, you want them like playing in your DVD collection, don't you? Yeah, you want them looking through your cabinets and eating your food. And yeah. Yeah, discipline's a real good thing. I have a really great upward basketball story that I won't tell to protect the innocent. Oh, yeah. So, Jesus is about fruit. He wants, he wants to see his disciples left on the earth, and he wants to see his disciples be known by the fruit that they exhibit in their life. And the first way to, uh, the first way to walk in fruitfulness is to embrace discipline and to embrace pruning of the Father. Now, the second way, second way that we're going to em- em- embrace, um, embrace the call to fruitfulness is, is what's plainly in the text, and maybe you guys have already noticed it. It's this, it's we're going to remain in Jesus. Now, in these, in these 16 verses, the word fruit shows up eight times and the word remain shows up 11 times. Now, I don't know about you, but I think Jesus is trying to say that, that fruitfulness and, and bearing fruit has something to do with remaining in Him. Didn't, didn't we all kind of catch that? 
And that word remain, that word remain, uh, in some of your translations, you may have the word abide. Uh, and and if, you, if, you, if you look at what that word, that word remain means, it means, it means remain, it means abide. It, it, it carries this connotation of loyalty, like, like family. It, it, means, it even means endure. It means, it means, it means to, to endure and, and to, to remain like, like next of kin. And, um, and even just from the image that Jesus gets, he says, I'm the, I'm the vine and that you're the branches. And, that you, and he says, you know, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. What's that image tell us? Apart from what the word remain means, even just the image that Jesus gives us, it points out connection. See, Branches have to be connected to the vine. And it's not just any kind of connection, it's intimate connection. It's the kind of connection where life can flow through it. In verse 4, Jesus says, this is why we've got to go for this. Verse 4, Jesus says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we've got to remain in with Jesus. We've got we've to stay connected with him. And, and here's what I love about this particular passage. Jesus is spelling it all out for us. He's not leaving anything to mystery. He's not leaving anything to secret. This morning, he's spelling it out for us. So look at verse 9, okay? Because this is how we remain. Jesus is telling us, this is how we remain. Verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. How do we remain, church? By obeying Jesus' commands. Now, Jesus has commanded a lot of things. And you can read through the Bible and, and you can read through the gospel and there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things that Jesus has told us that we should do and a lot of ways that he's outlined for us to live. And I think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about that kind of life. I think, I think if, you, if you read that, if you read in verse 10, you know, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. If you read verse 10 and, and if, you, if, you, if you think in terms of commands, if you're thinking in terms of like Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount stuff, I think it fits in there. But I think he's talking about something even more specific. This is a really great verse. Keep reading. Let's look for the kind of command that Jesus is wanting us to obey. Okay? Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Now look at verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. How do we remain in the Lord this morning? By obeying his commands. What is the command that Jesus is asking his disciples to obey specifically in this verse? To love one another. To love one another. You know, one of the things that, uh, that, I, that I really pounded on maybe three or four weeks ago here at the church was that, you know, man, church, this is a year where we have to include one or two more people into our life circle. This is a year where, where we, can't, we can't be satisfied with, with, with the happy little family that I have. We, I, I really want to put this on you. This year, church, invite one or two more people into your, your happy circle. And love them just the way that Jesus has loved you. I, I want to be really directional here with the church. I want to tell you, Invite one or two more people into your happy circle and love them just the way that Jesus has loved you. What does that mean to love a person just the way Jesus has loved you? Just, just love them unconditionally. Just no strings attached. All, all, there's nothing off the table. Everything's in. Everything's a possibility. My life is an open, is an open checkbook for you if that helps you get, a, get your brain around it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So remaining in Jesus has to do with, with, with obeying his commands. And his command is specifically to love one another. He had already said it in, in chapter 13, 34, 35. I want to I read that to you. If you want to write it down, it's chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says this earlier in the dinner. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's the key point there? If we love one another, people will know that we're disciples of the Lord. 
Does that sound like fruit? See, there's, there, there should be some sort of exchange, some sort of life flow from, from the vine to the branches that proves to everyone around that we're disciples of the Lord. And, and Jesus is spelling it out for us really plain in this text. And he's saying the way that you treat one another, especially the way you treat brothers, and I, and I take that, the way you treat people in the household of God, the way that you treat people, the way that you love them is the way that you remain in my love. While we're talking about remain, I want to I talk about the life flow here just a little bit. The flow of life. Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9 says that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. See, the Father loves Jesus, and then what? Jesus loves the disciples. Now, what's his command to them in verse 12? Love one another. You see, you see when, when, we, we, when we begin to remain in Jesus, when we begin to live life in the vine, there is a, there's a flow of life that happens. There's an exchange that happens. And it always becomes about one step beyond. The Father loves Jesus. Jesus loves the disciples. And now what is Jesus laying on the disciples? I want you to love one another. You see, see ultimately what fruit is about it's about taking the benefits of, the, of having a relationship with Jesus and extending those benefits toward another. You see, I can't become, I can't become a pond of Jesus' love. I can't, become, I can't become a pond of benefit from being connected to the vine. See, the benefit of being connected to Jesus has to extend to, to the others. And that's, that's really how we get into to living a life of fruit. There has to be an extension of whatever it is that Jesus is pouring into my life. It has to be extended, and those boundaries have to be moved out one more step. Let's look at verse 11. Jesus tells his disciples, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Where does joy come from? It's in verse 11. Where does joy come from? Joy comes from Jesus. Joy comes from being a branch that's intimately connected to the vine and allowing the joy of Jesus to come into your life. I want to tell you this. Jesus got joy from the Father, and he's passing it along to us. And one of the displays, one of the, one of the, one of the relational fruits that we're to display into the world is joy. That's what, that's what I want to call the life flow. There, there's, this, there's this flow. Life from the Father to Jesus. From Jesus to the disciples. And Jesus is laying it on his disciples. He says, guys, I want, you to, to, I want you to prove yourself as my disciples by allowing that life flow to happen on out. See, church, we're called, we're called to display fruit. We're called to display the evidence of being related to Jesus. And what I want to tell you about fruit is this. Fruit is not a confession. You see, fruit is not a confession. Fruit is tangible, it's touchable, and it's the useful reality that the life of Jesus is coursing in my veins. It's, 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 it's tangible, it's touchable, it's useful. It's, useful. it's not a confession. <laughs> And fruit also speaks to purpose. You see, an unfruitful life is a life without purpose. And Jesus calls that life a dead branch. And one of the things I want to tell you, church, is this. It's time for us to stop offering the world we live in a dead branch. You know why, people, you know why so many people in the world feel so beat up by the church? The reason that so many people in the world feel so beat up by the church is because we've, we, we've, we've been commanded to offer them fruit. And what have we offered them? We've offered them a dead branch. And in many cases, we whack them with it. It's really true. And, it, and, it, and fruit speaks to, having, speaks to the purpose of your life. I mean, how many of you all feel, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you feel dried up and withered? I mean, I won't, even, I won't even necessarily outline what dried up and withered could mean. 
when it hits you, if it's you, you know, because I've been there. If you're dried up and withered, you know it. And it's because the purpose of the kingdom isn't being fully manifested in your life in terms of fruit. See, we're called to fruit. Fruit speaks of purpose. And we have to quit offering the world a dead branch. Let me say this about fruit. Fruit is the sweet outcome of being intimately connected to Jesus. Here's something else I've noticed about fruit. I've never met anyone who didn't like fruit. Everyone likes fruit. It's sweet. Can I tell you something? The the most radically oppressed, abusive, snake in the grass, mean guy out on the streets that you ever met in your whole life, he likes fruit. He does. He's probably got a bowl of apples sitting on, his, sitting on his kitchen counter somewhere. See, people like fruit. It's sweet. Tastes good. Here's the other thing I want to say about fruit. See, fruit is for consumption. It's back to that life flow thing. It's not just about me absorbing the joy of Jesus and, and becoming a joy pond. It's about me. It's about me taking the, the it's about me taking the joy of Jesus and producing the fruit of the spirit. It's about me producing the fruit of joy in my life and why? So that somebody else can consume it. So that somebody who's hopeless and someone who's living in depression and someone who's living in hopelessness can take and pluck joy right off of my life and consume it. Have you ever noticed maybe you've noticed this especially if you're kind of a happy person. If you're kind of a happy person, you know one of the things you'll attract? You'll attract unhappy people. And the reason is this, because unhappy people like fruit. I sometimes look at my wife and I'm going, where are these people coming from? Why are they here? You know, it's because people, people want fruit and fruit is for consumption. And so my life, is, my life is to be lived in such a way that I produce a crop of love, a crop of joy, a crop of peace, a crop of miracles, a crop of giving, and, and the crop is to be consumed by others. It's not for me, it's, it's so that I can, it can be consumed by others. Here's the other thing I want to tell you about fruit as well. All fruit contains seeds. And, and, and we've already established the fact that people really like fruit. And, and here's, the, here's the awesome thing about fruit. If you begin to produce a crop of joy, if you begin to produce a crop of love, if you begin to produce a crop of peace, if you begin to produce a crop of, of miracles in your life, if you begin to produce a crop of, of generosity or, or, or a crop of healing or, or, or a crop of prophetic words in your life, and if you, put it, if, you put, if you hang it out on the branches so that others can consume it, you know what they're going to come into contact with? they're going to come into contact with the seeds. Every apple has a seed in it. Every true, every true orange has a seed in it. Everything that's not a hybrid, everything that has, has a parent has a seed in it. And so what I want to tell you is one of the best ways for us to, to encounter the culture that we live in, one of the best ways for us to encounter Campbellsville and for us to see a demonstrative change happen, not, not just one that's in the spirit, but one that's in everyday life, a demonstrative change One of the best ways for us to establish that is to establish a life that produces fruit that other people can eat, something that they want, something that they can grab. They will come into contact with an imperishable seed. It's one of the the dynamic realities about the fruit of the Spirit. It's attractive to people, and they become open to Jesus. Ray told me a fantastic story yesterday about when he was in college uh, and they had this pretty, ni- tight, pretty nice tight-knit fellowship in college. And uh, there was a guy who hung out with them who was, who was adamantly opposed to the gospel. He thought it was basically myth and that the only reason that anyone believed in Jesus is because, you know, we're Americans, we're Western, you know, we live in the Bible Belt, and we're conditioned to believe in Jesus, you know. You grow up hearing Jesus' stories, so you just kind of naturally believe it in the same way that perhaps someone who's a Buddhist naturally believes you know, that uh, believes, you know, in, in Buddhist principles because they're conditioned to believe so. Y'all kind of get what I'm saying here? This guy, he didn't care for the gospel at all. But he loved hanging out with Christians. Why? 
because they weren't perfect, but because they, they, because they generally were producing a crop of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, so on. So what happens to this guy? This guy hangs out his entire time in college, gets married. Marriage lasts five years, burns up in divorce. Still not a believer. He ends up marrying one of the girls from that original fellowship who is a believer, and now that guy's a believer. Now, we can, we can do the math on this a lot of different ways. And, and, and there, are, there are things that were involved in this man coming to know the Lord that, that we'll never know and that, and that certainly Ray and I don't even know. But one of the major factors that held this man in a place where he could come into contact with imperishable seed is this, fruit. Fruit allows people to come into contact with imperishable seed. And it's what Jesus is He's, he's, he's radically after it. And, and so church, I just want to tell us this morning before we wrap it up, we have to be a church that's consumed with displaying fruit. We have to be a church that's consumed with displaying kindness. We have to be a church that's consumed with displaying the love of God. We have to be a church that's consumed with displaying the joy of Jesus. In, in fact, I'll take just a side note about joy here. Every single year, I, I ask the Lord, Lord, what is your word for us at the vineyard? And I've shared this a couple times already this year, but I'm going to be sharing it so many times this year we're all going to get worn out on it. I only had one word from the Lord this year for the vineyard. And the word for us this year uh, that I felt like came from the Holy Spirit was choose joy. You know, we have to be, we have to be a church that's radically dedicated to being in Jesus' life flow to the point that we produce useful fruit to people around us. Joy. Love. Lifestyle of miracles. On Monday night, we pray for the sick. And this Monday night, two ladies came in. One of them really beat up and hurting. Richard and I prayed for this lady for about a minute and a half. And after a minute and a half of prayer, she was 100% healed. 100% healed. Can I tell you something? This woman just became open to the gospel. She became open to imperishable seed because the fruit that surrounded it radically changed her life can't move minute and a half of prayer can move church we've got to be radically committed to producing fruit not just good talk but producing fruit amen amen hey uh ministry team come on up let's do the stuff